Hello, all you reinventors. This is Leslie Jane Seymour, and I am the founder of this podcast, and I am the founder of Covey Club, a place where we say we hold a space for you while you figure out what's next. And I am really so excited to have somebody for you today. First of all, when you listen to her voice, it's going to bring back all the radio you listened to as a kid, if you're over the age of 20, because there was no radio when you were 20. Um, But if you're over the age of 20, and I suspect you might be, she has one of those beautiful voices and she's figured out the technology and you're going to love that. And she's going to teach us all about how to reinvent ourselves with not only her personal reinvention story, but she's a master podcaster and she really understands the business of building a podcast. So she's going to talk to us about that, but let me give you her bio and then we will launch into her. She is a former NASA master trainer. She's an author, a podcaster, an educator who believes that the five C's, creativity, curiosity, compassion, confidence, and communication will change the world. There's an extra C, which is change. She helps her clients create engaging, compelling, and inspiring podcasts by teaching them excellent technical, vocal, and communication skills. She also is going to drop a few marketing ideas in there, and um, mainly for me because I need all this help uh, with my podcast. So here is Isolde Trachtenberg. Hi, Isolde. I am so psyched to have you here on the podcast. Hi, Leslie. Thank you so much for having me. And you just have that perfect, like, it reminds me of radio when I was a kid. That perfect, (laughs) like, you sound like that person that I, I guess it was the night, Allison something, the night bird. Do you remember her? I don't, but I thank you for the comparison. That's great. Yeah, it was, it was real heavy, heavy history, heavy memories there. So, so we're going to talk about, oh my God, your reinvention. I just want everybody heads up, listen to this reinvention. Let's start with NASA. Is that what you grew up to do? What was your, what was your history? Where did you grow up and how the heck did you end up as a NASA master trainer? Wow. Well, let's say it's a long and winding road, but I will give us a short version. (laughs) (laughs) I'll try to make it succinct. So I'm actually an immigrant to the USA. I was born in the former Soviet Union back when it was still the Soviet Union. And my family immigrated to the USA in the mid 70s. And uh, along the way, we spent a year traveling, living in a war zone. So I had to sort of get scrappy very young and get very good at being very flexible. And then once we moved to the USA, I actually wanted to be a spy. I I did not think that I would ever work at NASA. That was not a goal, although I always did love the stars. But I really, I wanted to be a spy and then found out what kind of work it was really and then went, okay, you know what? No. <laughs> and so by the time I went to college at the University of Michigan, I had thought, I'm going to go to med school. And two weeks later, after I found out I'd have to dissect animals, I went, no, I'm going to go to law school. And so I I sort of reinvented myself a lot and ended up graduating with an English degree and moved to D.C. right after graduation and went to work at the National Geographic Society and loved, 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 found out that I loved environmental science and loved teaching kids about how to save the earth. 
and moved over to NASA and ended up becoming a master trainer there. And one of the things that's so fascinating to me about working with a bunch of scientists and engineers is that one of the things they have trouble with is communicating these very high scientific concepts to third graders, right? So or one to anybody. Things, yes. Or to anybody, yes. But right. one of the things that I ended up doing was becoming sort of a science communication bridge. I was bridging the gaps between a lot of these high science concepts and the way to make it relevant for kids. So I used my English degree to be a storyteller and then traveled the world for NASA teaching everyone from you know, kindergartners to diplomats, how to do the science to save the earth. And then when I left NASA, because contracts dry up and sometimes you have to go, okay, what else are you going to do? I went back to one of my first loves, which was music and was a professional musician for, I still am, but I did it full time for about 10 years and then went, no, I miss educating people. And so I went back into that and I do that too. And so I've spent a fair amount of time really working on what it is that I love as opposed to what it is that I want to do. And so I make what I love what I do every single time because now I've gone on and I've written a bunch of books on everything from how to overcome public speaking fears and all the way to murder mysteries. So I love tasting and trying whatever entices me and reinvention is sort of part and parcel of every step of that. So tell me this, you were going to be a spy, but you were mm -hmm. afraid of that. You decided you had a little fear there. You seem to be pretty fearless about moving around into all these different things. When I talk to women about their issues about reinvention, it's all about fear of trying something new. And you seem mm -hmm. to move seamlessly between all those things. Is that just your mentality? Are you unique in that way? Do you Can you put your finger on something you learned? I, it's a great question, actually. And I think I, the, the spy thing wasn't the fear. It was the lying. I had trouble with how much I wanted to be a, an actual intelligence officer. And that there, that involves a lot of subterfuge. And I went, you know what, I I'm too into the truth. So that's not really something I can do. And that's what actually changed my mind. Because uh, the quote unquote, State Department recruited me because I speak a bunch of languages. And ah. I, I kind of went, you know what? No, it's not. I ended up choosing against it because of that part of it, because I didn't, I wanted to be more on the side of truth rather than on the side of subterfuge. And the the fear went away a long time ago. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, I lived, I grew up uh, in the former Soviet Union, which which had fear as a blanket, right? It was oh. a blanket everywhere. Everybody was afraid to say anything because it's not the same as living in the USA. You weren't allowed to have freedom of speech, freedom of expression, none of that. Everyone walked around with a patina of fear because you never knew when someone could report you. And in fact, when my family decided that they were going to leave the Soviet Union, immediately you have to rescind your citizenship. And that meant that we were fair game, right? If they wanted to have put us in prison for being there without citizenship, they could have. So during that time, things were wow. very uncertain. And then we moved to Israel and uh, as part of the immigration process, and we were there right during the Yom Kippur War, which started on October 7th in 1973. And my birthday is October 8th. So we were literally in the middle of it. And, and the way I say it when, I, when I'm doing my public speaking work, I talk about it saying, you know, my seventh birthday party was interrupted by planes dropping bombs. And really oh that's goodness. actually true. 
So uh, there was no, there was not a lot of room for fear. As a seven-year-old, I had to become right. pretty grown up. And we had to live in a, uh, we were living in a building that was on the, I think, fifth floor or sixth floor, but the air raid siren, sirens would go off and we would have to get down to the bomb shelter. And I was a light enough sleeper that I woke everybody up and and had to sort of guide everyone down into the bomb shelter. And I was seven. So there wasn't a lot of room for fear because it when it be, when it's a matter of survival, I think fear goes, okay, you can either fight, flight, or freeze. And I was always a fighter. And so that was where that fear sort of went away. On the other hand, I did develop a public speaking phobia when I was in elementary school here in the USA and then had to overcome that. And that happened actually, because I don't know if you remember SRAs, you know what those are? Oh my God. What was that? Yes. I remember the name. Yes. It's Scholastic Reading Aptitude. And when I came here. Oh my God. That's a blast from the past. I know, right? Yes. (laughs) SRA. Oh my God. SRAs, right. So when when I came here, uh, there was no ESL program in Detroit where my family moved. And because of that, they sort of threw me into class and went, well, sink or swim. And so no one ever actually taught me English. I sort of picked it up by watching television and the Brady Bunch and Happy Days were my English teachers. <laughs> and uh, and because of that, uh, there were certain words I didn't know how to say. And I was Mrs. Saperstein, bless her heart. She was an amazing teacher. I love all my teachers. But she had me stand up in front of the class to read one of these SRAs. And I was reading something and I was supposed to say the chalet was picturesque. And the word I saw was P-I-C-T-U-R-E-S-Q-U-E. And I went, the chalet was picture skew because that's what it looked like. Right. And the entire class erupted in laughter and I was just mortified. And that sort of started me being terrified to speak in public. Uh, and, yes. you know, I mean, you're eight years old, but you know. But what was interesting about that is that overcoming that fear made me, as you might guess now, a real, (laughs) I'm a real yenta. I will go out and I will speak to anyone about anyone. I'm very curious about people. And when I do my professional speaking gigs, there's never any fear anymore because I look at it like, you know what? We're sharing time together. I get to share a gift with you and you give me the gift of your attention. And so the fear completely melts away when I look at this kind of thing as a, a, an actual exchange of energy, of attention, and really of love. And so whenever I work with my clients and I say, oh, you're afraid to speak in public, you're afraid about this meeting or this interview, let's look at it as two beings having a connection rather than one person has all the power and you feel like you don't. So as soon as you start looking at it as an exchange and a gift, everything changes. And that's why I wrote a book about how to overcome some of this and how to engage people when you're speaking to them, because I think we all can and should have the freedom to express ourselves and also to do it with confidence and compassion. And so where does your incredible mid mid Atlantic accent come from? Was that from TV or did you work on that? No, no, no. Actually, it's really interesting. I I got to meet, I don't know if you know, do you know, do you remember Happy Days, the TV show? Yes. Okay. So you remember Marion Ross, who was the woman who played Marion Cunningham, the mom. Uh Uh-huh. So I would watch, especially her, I would watch Happy Days. I would watch Brady Bunch. And I picked up the way mostly Marion spoke. And interestingly, I was at a conference a couple of years ago. And I got to meet Marion Ross's son, Jim Meskimen, who was a fantastic actor and, and, uh, uh, comic and and 
he's amazing. Anyway, I got to meet him and I got to tell him actually that I learned English by watching his mom on Happy Days. And he went, oh my God, we have to record this video. Tell the story again. And he recorded it and he played it for his mom. How sweet oh, is that? That's so sweet. It's so interesting. I, I've heard that before that people will listen to American television, mm -hmm. pick up the American accent, that it so pervasive, even though there's so many different American accents you could sure. have come up with. That's what's funny is you, you picked the, you know, the, I call it the sort of pilot's voice. <laughs> right. It's, it's the, it's the broadcast, the broadcast yes. English voice. Yeah. And Correct. that's because that's what I was watching. You know, my sister lives in Atlanta. So whenever I go down there, I pick up a little bit of an accent from that's Georgia. So hilarious. And, and I think when you're young, like I was, you pick up languages, you're a sponge and you, you pick them up pretty quickly. Yes. And that's, that's partially what I think happened to me was I was soaking it all up and really getting to apply it. And here's an interesting little tidbit that would never happen today. Because I learned English so fast, and my family was the first family who came into the Detroit area from the Soviet Union, they used to get me out of class and drive me around to all the schools where students were coming in with their parents because they had just moved there, and I would interpret between Russian and English. And I was seven, wow. eight years old. So wow. isn't that something? So so it would never happen today, of course. We have a lot more rules against that and a lot more infrastructure. But back then, again, there was no room for fear because I got sort of thrown into these situations and had to sink or swim, and I chose to swim. Incredible. What do you tell people who do have innate fears about these changes where they've got to, and that, of course, it makes sense when you've got bombs falling, you're going to get rid of your fear of public speaking. Because <laughs> when right. you compare, <laughs> when you compare those two, that, that's definitely one way to get yourself straight. But as far as reinvention goes, because that is one of the big things, um, what do you, what do you tell people who are trying to go from A to M in their reinvention and they're feeling like, you know, it's very, very scary to start over, especially we're talking to women who are 40 plus, they're a little older. And um, what have you seen or what have you experienced or what's your advice? That's such a great question, Leslie. I think the thing that I would say is instead of thinking of it as A through M, think of it as A through B or A through A.1 or oh. A through A.2, right? Small, we we tend to think reinvention has to take place in this huge, gigantic way. I think it doesn't. I think you can take tiny steps, but, you know, three months from now, if you take a tiny step every day, you will have gone really far. And what I, my the quote that I love to use is, what is one small thing I can do right now to improve the situation? Not what is the huge, gigantic project I have to finish that overwhelms me, but rather what is what is one small step? And in fact, I, ha I have a little worksheet that I, that I give to my clients where I ask them to do three small things on three projects every day. And they can be the tiniest things, but it, something about marking something is done, marking yes. something as I finished it feels so good. Yes. And if you have a huge project, then you don't mark anything as finished for a long time. But if you break it down into incremental tiny parts, you get to finish a lot. And that gives you confidence and motivation and energy to keep going. So break it down into tiny, tiny pieces. And also remind yourself, you know, affirmations are so good. 
thinking I deserve to finish this. I deserve to reinvent myself. I am allowed to make changes are all things that you can say to yourself so that you can get that confidence. Because so much of this is we start feeling like we can't. I, I'm in my mid-50s and I think to myself, oh, you know, is there a time when I go, oh, I'm too afraid. I, my husband and I picked up at 52 and moved from the D.C. area to New York City because I had to live here. And it was it was a complete reinvention. I had to make that move in order to feel like I was in the place where I belong. And now I do. But for 30 years, I lived in the D.C. area and always felt a little off. I love my friends, but it wasn't the right place for me. And now that I'm home, if you will, everything is coming much more easily. So you might need to make that change as well. Like, what is the thing that you need to actually change. Some people might want to change careers. Some people might want to write a book. Some people might want to move cities. But the thing that you might want to do may not be the thing you need to do in order to start the ball rolling so that you can reinvent the thing you need to reinvent. I find it's very interesting about changing location. I read somewhere that one of the things they tell cigarette smokers who can't break the habit Mm. is that to get up and move location mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. actually helps break the habit. I find it such an interesting, we we did like you, we were in New York for 40 years, but we moved down to <laughs> New Orleans and I find it just forces reinvention because you have to learn new things. You're constantly, I mean, everything from you don't even know where the grocery store is. So you don't even know what's on the shelves. And I, I mean, I happen to love reinvention. I love change. So for me, that's very energizing, but Mm -hmm. it's an interesting way to make yourself actually move into that new reinvention. It's a big step though. And I agree with you also about doing tiny incremental changes. Yeah. And also there's a, there's a mindfulness piece of this, right? There's a, there's a, what is your intention? Can you get some peace around it? in order to do that. And we, especially women in our 40s and 50s are going, holy crap, one more thing to do when we're thinking about like meditation or or getting into that mindful state. But I find that it actually saves you time if you even spend five minutes a day, you know? So so that's another thing that you can do. Yes, uh, for example, the smoking example that you gave is fabulous. Change, change your location, change your position. If what you're used to doing after you drink is have a cup of coffee and with a cup of coffee, you have a cigarette. Maybe you don't drink coffee for a while. Maybe you change to tea or maybe you go have a water or juice or something that doesn't spark that same desire, that same automatic craving. And the same goes for so many other things. We get conscious about our choices. Everything becomes more deliberate, more purposeful, and then more mindful. Now talk about podcasting because an awful lot of my listeners are interested in podcasting. I come Mm -hmm. out of the publishing business and I really have come to see podcasting now as the new magazines. Mm. As magazines have faded, I feel like they are, not everybody listens to podcasts, but I think they're going to grow because mm. you can learn, you can get to know somebody, you can have an intimate relationship on a personal basis, very much like you did with magazines. Mm-hmm. What do you think is 
the key to successful podcasting. And I know that you teach this. What have you seen and what have you seen with older women? Have you seen anything different? Is it just as easy for older women to get started in podcasting or harder? I think it's in some ways just as easy, but there are things that everybody can do to make uh, to make certain their podcast is going to be a success. For example, you need to know who your audience is and you need to know what they want, right? If you're starting a podcast because of something you're passionate about, that's very different than if you're starting a podcast because your audience needs these problems solved and you're the person who can solve them. So I know people who are doing podcasts. I have a friend who's doing a podcast. She's going through the AFI top 100 films and she's watching the movie and she's podcasting her review of the movie. That's a passion project. It's not right. something she's looking to make money on. But you know what? Right. She's got listeners because there are people out there who are going, I want to know her reviews. Right. And then and then I have, uh, you know, another friend who's doing wonderful work on PR for small businesses and small entrepreneurs, a lot of women entrepreneurs. She focuses on earned media and she's got a huge audience because so many people need to know that they want to build their business. They want to build their brand and they don't know where to go. And she's like, start getting stories about yourself, start getting on podcasts. And this is how. So if you have a problem that you want to solve, great. If you have a passion project and you know, other people have the same passion, that's also another way to do it. And then choosing wisely, which podcast hosting platform, how you want to do your podcast. Is it going to be weekly? Or is it going to be daily? Is it going to be once a month? Figuring that out and remaining consistent is huge as far as having a successful podcast. And then if you're going to have interviews, learn how to ask questions, learn how to use your voice. I mean, when I teach people, I teach them. I, you, we were talking earlier, you said, oh my goodness, you have such a radio voice. My regular speaking voice isn't necessarily like this. Oh, I, how funny. Uh-huh. Yeah, I, I cultivate a, a, a speaking voice that is a, a little bit more, I would say, melodious and people say smooth. I like it's that they say smooth, that. It's very smooth, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, but, but some of that is the warming up that I do before I podcast. Some of that is consciously relaxing my throat. So that if I'm, if your throat is at all pinched, your voice is going to start sounding a little bit more like this, a little bit harsher. And if you relax your throat, then, then it's, you're giving your vocal folds a chance to be relaxed. And there are conscious techniques that we can do to sort of have that smoother, more articulate sound if we choose to do that. But part of it is that part of it is how are you communicating? How are you asking questions? What are the best kinds of questions to ask mm -hmm. so that you get the information that your audience most needs. And last but not least, and this is something I tell every guest that is on my show, on my podcast, it is that I ask them to understand that when they're talking with me, 60% of what they say needs to be directly for my audience. 30% can be for themselves and 10% needs to be for me. And that's how I look at it. The bulk of what you're talking about needs to be something my audience wants to hear. Because if you're there just to promote what you're doing. Yeah, nobody cares. Exactly. Yep. So yep. so that's I've given that breakdown to every guest I've ever had. And and luckily, they, <laughs> they have all been super accommodating about that and really bring a lot of value to people about, you know, who are interested in what my show's about. And that's another thing that you need to do when you're learning how to podcast is cultivate that mindset that you are there to speak. And more importantly, you are there to serve the audience. 
interesting. I guess I grew up in publishing, so that's all we did. I mean, there mm -hmm. were there were editors who laughed at their audience and ignored them because they were cultivating advertisers. Mm. But most of us who were in the service area of most magazines, it was all we, we used to call it what's in it for me. Right. And that's sort of your mindset from day one, which is nobody's time for this. Right. <laughs> so right. <laughs> they've got kids pulling on them, the you know, the guys knocking on the door, the dogs barking, he has to go out. Why should you mm -hmm. sit and spend any time with this? Right. And uh, so we're very, I think publishing people tend to be very focused on the value for your time because no one has any time. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So what have you seen as the big sort of impediments for people getting a good podcast off the ground? So once you've, I mean, do you see a lot of people coming in just saying, I want to talk about what I want to talk about and I don't care about the audience or is that they don't know how to uh, get their points across. What are you, what are you seeing as the major problems? Uh, there are lots of problems. First of all, right now the market is a little saturated with everybody thinking that I know how to do this and not really having the training on how to do it. Anybody can start a podcast, but a lot of people do and go through what they call pod fade where they get in maybe five episodes and then they lose steam because mm. they haven't planned out what they're going to actually be talking about. So one of the things to do is don't plan out the next three episodes, plan out the next 30 episodes, see what wow. you're going to actually be talking about. Because then if things come along and you want to do something different, great. But right now, for example, my podcast, my interviews, if you interview with me today, your podcast will go up sometime in October, maybe, maybe November. Because Oh yeah, I'm we're kind of exactly. like that. Yeah. Right. And so, so you need to be very, you need to have a lot of foresight. You need to have a planner that talks to you about all of that. And you need to support your podcast with the right social media. So having your podcast have its own Instagram or its own TikTok or, or its own Twitter and really supporting the audience that comes through that way and engaging with them is really important because if people don't know you're there, there's another podcast probably right. on your topic out there that they can go to. So right. telling people that you're there, asking them to share it out and all of that, it's one of the best things you can do is, yes, you're serving an audience. And also you need to let people know you're there. You need to have a good quality show. You need to have consistency. Consistency is king and communication is queen as far as I'm concerned. So all of those things need to be there and set up so that you can have a successful podcast and keep growing your show. And then one of the other things, honestly, like what you and I are doing, we've traded being on each other's shows. Because yes. So much fun. Yeah, super fun. And also this gives me, frankly, gives this gives me an opportunity to interact with your audience and you yes. being on my show gives you an opportunity to interact with mine. And as far as I'm concerned, podcasters are selfless people. They help each other out. And so if you're just starting a podcast, you may not want to go to Tim Ferriss and say, hey, can I be on your show? <laughs> but, but, you know, go to someone who is somewhere where, near where you are on your level and trade shows, trade episodes. See if you can be a guest and if you can have someone as a guest on your show. Really develop those relationships. Think about joining some of the Facebook groups. Think about going to some of the, there are lots of podcast conferences now. Think about going to some of those and really meeting people. Put yourself out there because if this is what you love, if you love 
being a podcaster, frankly, if you don't love it, don't do it. There are lots of other things you can do. But if you love it, then really dedicate to it. Make time to meet other podcasters. Make time to go to a virtual conference, even if you can't go in person because you're too far away or money's tight or whatever. There are virtual conferences. There are ways to attend. There are Facebook groups you can join totally for free where you can meet lots of other podcasters and really get to know them and they can get to know you. And that's one of the ways you develop wonderful relationships where you can help each other out. Interesting. Do you have a favorite conference that you think is good for beginners who are listening? I think Podcast Movement is one of the greatest ones. I think that's that's a great conference. Um, and HubSpot, I think, is having a, a really nice podcasting conference in September. Uh, I'm I'm not affiliated with them. I'm not I'm not getting any money for saying that. But but right. honestly, the the thing about there are lots of them. But podcast movement, I think, really does a wonderful job. And also listening to some of the people, uh, like uh, what is his name, Greenlee. I forget what his first name is. My goodness, he's a friend of mine, and he's been on my show. I want to <laughs> say Robert. That. I want to say Robert. That's uh, every day happens. No worries. (laughs) Yeah, it's so funny. Uh, Uh But I think it's Robert Greenlee. And he is a he's in the podcasting hall of fame, if believe it or not, which I think is super cool. He's been podcasting since like 2004. I think something like that. Um, And I I just I think that that's amazing. Yeah, it is Rob Greenlee. I knew his name. And so follow him. He's amazing. And he is so giving of information. And uh, a a good friend of mine, and actually now he's he's a doll. T. Morris is a an author and he he writes the book podcasting for dummies. And that's a great I'm I can put a little plug in there because my show got into the fourth edition of podcasting for dummies under the slice of life section. And so you can see my show in the book, which is super cool. Wow, that's cool. It is cool. And and the point for me is that in that book there, he's been podcasting also since like 2004, 2005, and he's amazing at it. And I highly recommend even books like that. If you can get it out of the library, it should be available. Get it out of the library and just read through what all of the latest and greatest information is on how to start a show and how to build an audience. So unlike many other um, mediums, and I hear it again and again and again, do do you have an insight into why consistency is so important in this medium? I think it's partially because of when people listen. People listen, for example, on their commute. And right. during right. COVID habit. So it's habit. Yeah. It's some of it is habit. Some of it is is it's almost like remember TV. When TV shows are on every Monday at eight, you know when that TV show is gonna be oh, on and yes. you know when to tune in. Yes. Where and the same thing with podcasting. If it jumps all over the place, you're gonna lose interest. And in fact, they've done all sorts of stories, like Hollywood Reporter does stories on how many shows have died because the uh the broadcasting network moves them around too much. Right. So that's a problem for a lot of shows. They got moved around and people lost the show and couldn't find the show and then went, okay, then I'm going to watch something else. And so, and also, if you take a lot of time between episodes, the same thing happens. They'll go somewhere else. So, being consistent, being my show is on at 3 03 a.m. Eastern time every single Monday and every single Friday. So, my audience knows that at 3 03 a.m., they can go and they can listen. And that's 3, 3 a.m. Eastern. So if somebody is listening in Australia, they're going to find it at their time every single Monday and Friday. 
and they can rely on it. And having that builds trust and relationship with your audience. So do something like that. And again, you don't want to do more than you can because you want to be able to stay consistent. So if all you can do is once a month to start, then do once a month. If all you can do is, you know, once every two weeks, do that. For a while, I did every day and it was too much. So I moved back to two times a week and I know that I can do that and I know what's going to happen and I know I can be consistent and that is what I do and my audience can rely on that. They can trust it and that builds the trust and the communication between us. And I'm going to give you another fun little tidbit. This is so fun to do. One of the things I do is I have a little thing called SpeakPipe. Uh, it's a speak speakpipe.com, I think. And you can create a little leave me a voicemail kind of thing. And if someone leaves a voicemail, you can download it directly as an MP3. And then you can plug that right into your podcast. So if you ask a question and members of your audience want to answer that question, then by gum, they can answer that question by leaving you a voicemail. You can download it and then you can get that answer as an MP3 and plop it right into your show. And people love that. They love being a part of your show as more than just observers, as more than just listeners. And this gives you a really fun way to do it. And it's totally free. It's just super fun and easy way to get a really nice communication going between you and your audience. And what is that called again, Isolde? It's called SpeakPipe, S-P-E-A-K-P-I-P-E.com. Okay, wonderful. And it's totally free. So Awesome. Well, we've got that. Thank you so much. Oh my goodness. This is huge. God, I've learned. I've got 25 things to do already <laughs> just from this podcast. So Isolde, thank you so much. Where can everybody find you? The best place to find me now is isoldaspeaks.com. That's where all of my stuff is. And then I have one other thing that I'm doing. I'm, I'm releasing a class. If it's okay to do this, I hope it's okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm doing a class. It's an online class. It's super easy. It's called Meditation for Busy People. And you <laughs> can find it at meditationforbusypeople.net. And it is just because I want everyone to get <laughs> more peace of mind and more stress relief. I have anxiety periodically and I wanted to go, you know what, I'm going to start dealing with it. I started meditating many years ago and it has made my anxiety just go. It's amazing, right? Yes. It is and so people amazing. People say to me, they can't learn. And this is mostly my kids. Oh, I'm too busy. I can't learn. Right. And what I, what you said earlier on is definitely true. Actually, meditation creates mm -hmm. space in your day. Exactly. Which is hard to believe, but it yeah. actually is a fact because you're it, not going to be as distracted so you can get things done better, faster. Yes, for sure. And and the thing about this class is that it's none of the meditations are longer than five minutes. Oh. So yeah, that's why I'm saying if you feel like you're too busy to meditate, then this class is for you because awesome. it's just five minutes. Think about Great. that. Just five it's, minutes, right? <laughs> that's awesome. Isolde, so wonderful to have you. What a story. Thank you so much. And I can't wait to see you at Cuffy Club. Thank you, Leslie. I appreciate you having me. Thank you all for joining us for this wonderful time with Isolde. I hope this was helpful for you. I hope that this got you sort of thinking, A, about how change can be done. And then also 
what you might do with the podcast and how that might help your personal branding or your business, whatever it is you want to do. And I hope that if you like this podcast, you will go to Apple Podcasts and give us a review. That is where most people get to see what's going on in podcasting and reviews definitely help us become visible to other people who may need us. Share us with your buddies who are reinventing. And if you're serious about reinventing and it could be a small reinvention or a large reinvention, we do everything from, you know, how to reinvent your look to how to reinvent your entire life. Mosey on over to CoveyClub.com and you will download. It's all free. The site is free. We have how-tos. We have chat, you know, lists. We have all kinds of guides for you about any kind of reinvention you could think of. And we have beautiful writing from the best authors around the world. We have essays, everything about midlife. We are your one-stop for midlife information and we want to make sure that you know it ain't over till you say it's over and that's our mantra at covey club you get to decide what you're going to do next not somebody else out there not your boss not your kids and uh certainly not anybody else you decide what you're going to do and when you're going to do it and we're there to support you so until next time this is leslie seymour 